We are going through 2 Peter together under the title of Escaping Corruption. Escaping Corruption. How was your thinking this week? Last week we talked about how Peter wants to make, it wants to inspire us toward wholesome thinking. I hope your thinking was a little more wholesome this week because of our time together around this great letter of 2 Peter. Um, today, uh, well, let's, let's review first. I want to review a little bit. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 3 to verse 8, uh, because this is sort of the core of what Peter wants us to know in the book. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8. I really do want you to follow, on, follow along in your Bible. You know, we believe at Calvary that word, the Word is alive. The words of this text have been inspired by God, protected by God, helped into our language so that we can understand them, and they will work in your mind to renew it. And out of that will come a new life for you and for me. So that's why we spend time looking at these words carefully, understanding them, believing them, and obeying them. 2 Peter 1, 3-8. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Starts with him. Starts with his power. This is to people who have faith that saves them. It's, we have everything we need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness... He has given us his very great and precious promises, that might be prophecies, so that through them, the prophecies, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutually affect, mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in for a second. Ask yourself the question, do I want to escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires? How badly do you want to escape it? Bad enough to avoid temptation? Because I bet, like me, you were tempted this week to follow your evil desires. It might not have looked so bad or as bad as other people's, but you were tempted to be selfish, to be proud, to be lazy, to go in the world's broad, easy road that leads to destruction. And if you follow those, you will enter the corruption that is in the world. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, talks about groaning. The creation groans, waiting for its deliverance from bondage to decay. That's corruption. And we should be groaning along with it, saying, Lord, have mercy, deliver us. Well, today, Peter is going to inspire us even more to wholesome thinking by talking about fire reserved for fire he says and this is one of the ways that we understand the last day so turn over to second peter 3 verses 3 to 7 we're going to talk about five verses from this chapter of second peter in these words above all or first of all 
you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it was, as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. My dad got to go to high school in the United States in the glory days of the 1950s. He was uh, the only son of a widowed mother who had all the money she needed because her husband had left her a good life insurance plan. Uh, and so that meant he got to tell his mom what car she should buy every year. Now, if you know anything about American cars, the 1950s models are still collected because they're these classic uh, muscle car type automobiles. And that's the kind of car that my dad got to drive to homecoming basketball games and such. Well, one night they were at a homecoming and my dad had his a hot rod car, and he and his best friend, whose name was Jerry, my dad's Tom, and this was Jerry, so they were Tom and Jerry. <laughs> I know, sounds like a comic strip. They challenged another kid at the high school to a race, a drag race in their cars. I guess the basketball game was kind of boring. And he said, I can beat you in second gear. My dad wasn't a Christian yet. They said, all right, 50 bucks. Everybody give 50, each side give 50 bucks to this third guy, and then whoever wins gets the 100 when we get back. These are high schoolers, and $50 in the 1950s was money. So out they go, and Dad and Jerry, Tom and Jerry, get in this car and beat them in second gear, about burn the motor up. But they all come back, and everybody's seen it. They know who won. But when they come in, the guy with the $100 is surrounded by a bunch of big guys and say, we're not giving you this money. It doesn't matter. You can try, but you, you're not going to take it from us. So dad tells the story like he's thinking, this is just totally unjust. I won fair and square. It's my money. They're going to steal $50 from me at the very least. And they're thinking about trying to fight these guys and get their money when all of a sudden, Jerry's older brother, who had graduated two years before and was an American football player, walked in the door behind them and said, Hey, Jerry, what's going on? And Dad went, Wow, we've been saved. And vengeance had arrived. And those kids handed over the money and disappeared into the crowd. I thought of that story this week because a dear friend of mine had his sister run over by a car on purpose, thinking that she was somebody else, and the guy in the, in the car was trying to assassinate someone that looked like his sister. And he was struggling with vengeance. What do you do in a world where there's such injustice? Fortunately, the sister is okay. She's in the hospital, but she's going to make it. And our discussion centered around vengeance is mine. I will repay. Justice is coming. And if you believe that, it changes how you react in life's situations. 
So Peter is, is giving us a motivation to live the life that Jesus bought for us because we know our big brother is coming. And we're here, in the meantime, to serve his purpose. Let's go through this passage bit by bit. First he says, above all, or first of all, this is priority. What is priority? Understand that scoffers are normal. The life of faith will be made fun of. If no one is making fun of you, watch out. Because you're probably not living the way God would have you live. If everything you do, every way you spend your money makes sense to the world around you, you're probably not doing everything God wants you to do. Your life should look ridiculous to those who don't believe the end is coming. They should make fun of you. And Peter's saying, first of all, know that. Understand that. So when they come, you can just smile at them. You don't have to worry about scoffers. They scoffed at Jesus. They scoffed at Noah. They scoffed at every follower of Jesus. In fact, they killed many of them. What do these scoffers do? Well, there's several things they do, but it reminded me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In Portuguese, we, we call that escarnecedores. That's the old translation. Or zombadores. Those who make fun, those who giggle as you go by. Oh, there's that creepy Christian kid. It's normal for Christians to be scoffed at. Well, scoffers follow their own evil desires. Part of the reason they're scoffing at us is because we make them uncomfortable. We make them wonder if piling up riches in this world is that smart after all? And they really want to do away with us because we're sort of a rock in their shoe. They follow their evil desires and their beliefs justify their lifestyle. That's what Peter says. They come following their evil desires. Second thing he says is that they trust the evidence rather than the word. Here's what he says. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The status quo will continue. It's all going to remain the same. My father-in-law was a physicist, taught physics at Wheaton College for 50-some years. And he says that when he was doing his doctoral degree, his PhD at UCLA, was when the idea of the Big Bang was expressed. It came out as an official theory. The Big Bang is what started uh, the world. Now, I know that can be an enemy to what we believe, but he said that was good news because before that, we physicists thought that the world had just been going all forever. The universe never had a beginning. It had just been going forever, and it would continue to go forever, and that's, that was just accepted among scientists, and suddenly, he as a scientist said, aha, they discovered, let there be light. And there was this huge explosion, which is now moving everything apart towards some destination. Because we're moving, there will be an end. If there were a beginning, then there would be an end. That's what Peter's saying here. He's saying the scoffers say, it's always just been this way. The world's not going to end. Where's, where's this end? They follow the evidence rather than the word. Look at what he says about the word in our passage. Verse 4 
It says, where is the end he promised? They know that the word promises the coming of Jesus. It's, uh, verse 5 says, uh, by God's word, the heavens came into being. So they forget that it was God who said, let there be light. It's the word that created, and then it's the word that destroyed uh, through the flood in Noah. And verse 7 says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. How do you decide what to believe? Is it by the status quo or by what is written? Be careful that you don't separate your professional life or your financial life or your thought life from this moment right here <clears throat> where God is talking to us and saying, remember what I've promised. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, through his great and precious promises, we participate in the divine nature and escape corruption. Base your life on the promise of God, no matter what, no matter what. And then thirdly, it says scoffers deliberately forget history. They forget. They forget Noah. They forget the Bible. So that's why we read Noah again this morning, so that we don't forget that God actually found a righteous man in the midst of a world in which every imagination of their thoughts was only evil all the time. One of the things we learned from Noah is that corruption multiplies. Like mold, it just keeps growing and getting bigger and worse and taking over. Uh, so any hope that this world is going to somehow get cleaned up and there won't be any more corruption is a false hope. It just keeps growing. God is patiently calling us while it grows, but when it fills everything up, the end will come, like it did for Noah, like it did for Noah. Let, what, do, what do we remember in Noah? What can we learn about Noah? God's word takes a while to be fulfilled sometimes. You know, Noah was 600 years old when the flood finally came. I bet he was tempted to give up. Took a while. We're going to talk about that next week because Peter says in the next little section of this passage, God is not slow in fulfilling his promises like some measure slowness. He's patient. He's waiting for us to repent. But it does take a, a, a while in our estimation. But guess what? God always does what he promises. Read the promises of God like the newspaper because it will be current events eventually. Promises come true when they're made by God and they're recorded in his word. You can bet on it. You can put your feet on it. You can live your life by it. We are called out of that corruption and saved by grace. What a beautiful phrase it is that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I trust you've found that grace. Because it really doesn't make a lot of sense to the world for us to believe in Jesus, somebody we can't hear or see. To believe that an old book somehow can speak to us this morning and change our lives. That's grace. That's his grace that opens our minds, opens our eyes to ourselves and to him and what he does. It is grace that saves us. Water formed the world. The spirit 
hovered over the surface of the deep. Remember that? The earth was formless and void in the beginning. It was water. It was the sea. And out of that sea, God began to declare the world that now exists. And then water destroyed the world. So God said, there's going to be a flood. I'm going to wipe it all away. Except for Noah and his family, everyone will die. And it's because God proclaimed that in his world, in his word. All the ungodly died in that flood. Only those in the ark were saved. Only those in the ark were saved. Here's something I meditated on this week, is that God shut the door. So Noah and his family came in, and God sealed the door so that they could not get out of salvation. If you're doubting whether you can lose your salvation, rest assured. The Bible teaches that once you have the Spirit, you are His, and nothing can take you out of His hand. He closes the door, and nobody gets out, and nobody got in after the rain started falling. This ark Peter is using to declare that the end is is coming. He says, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, just like the earth of Noah's day was reserved for water. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So I started looking back in the Word this week to prophecies of the second coming. Did you know that there are way more prophecies of Christ's second coming than there were of his first? Than there are of his first that he already fulfilled by being born of Mary in a manger. So uh, David Jeremiah in his uh, ministry has counted 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Jesus. This was encouraging for me. 17 books in the Old Testament, mention Christ's return in some way. 23 in the New Testament, 7 out of every 10 chapters and 1 out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talks about Christ's personal second coming. It's sprinkled throughout our book, our faith. We dare not live as though it doesn't exist. It's what Peter's saying is, remember that this is being spoken and live in the truth of it. I went back and looked up some of these, and I want to read three of them to you. One from Isaiah, one from Zephaniah, and one from Malachi, part, partly because these are specifically about the fiery judgment at the end of the world. Listen to what it says. Behold, this is Isaiah 13, 9 to 11. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. If, if you don't hear anything else this morning from the message, would you hear that? Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. He will wash this world. He will take vengeance on his enemies. Everything will be made right. But here's what it says about the day of the Lord. Cruel, with fury and burning anger, the wrath of God, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. The stars of heaven in their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. 
Zephaniah 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger. For all the world will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. And then finally, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. I cannot read that without thinking Malachi is referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego skipping about in the fire of Nebuchadnezzar because Jesus is in the fire with them, making them fireproof. As the wicked are destroyed, the righteous are purified and made the beautiful, holy work of his redemption. So how do we understand this? Let's move toward interpretation and talk about what wholesome thinking means in these terms. So as we remember, as we aren't like the scoffers who deliberately forget that the world had a beginning, that it's already been destroyed, that it was rebuilt, and it's promised to be destroyed by fire again. As we remember that, here's what wholesome thinking looks like for Peter. Number one, scoffers are normal scoffers are coming scoffers will make fun of you if you are following this and by the way don't be one don't be a scoffer watch out for your online posts at the other political party scoffing doesn't shine the truth on anything it just makes you one of them don't be a scoffer and don't be surprised when they scoff at you secondly heaven and earth the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, and that's okay too. Don't let it make you panic. Don't be afraid. Make it motivate you to run more deeply into our ark, whose door is open, which is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Run into him and rejoice that you are kept for heaven in him, that you are safe from his wrath because his wrath was poured out on Christ on the cross and now you are not under judgment anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ, like Noah in the ark. Those who are in Christ are safe. The water didn't even get them wet. It just lifted them up and made them rejoice in the salvation that God gave. And so my cry to you, who are still with one foot back, un petrais, and you're saying, show me and I'll believe, prove it. And Jesus is saying, I'll prove it. My word has always been true. And it will come true. Every last promise will be fulfilled. Run to safety in Christ. Evil has an expiration date. You can relax under injustice. 
Yes, we as the people of God raise our voice for the voiceless. Yes, we work for justice. But we are not disturbed by it. We are not taken off our center by it because we know that justice is coming. The vengeance is God's. He will repay. That's one of his promises. Expiration date of evil is coming. And judgment is also coming. Matthew 12 even says, Jesus, here's, these are the words of Jesus, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, or maybe we should say that they text, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word will be judged. This is how Paul talks about that final fiery judgment. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. Now Paul is building an ark too, right? Like Noah, Paul has been called to build the church that will survive the flood of fire of the judgment that is coming and sail into the new heavens and the new earth. And he says no one can lay another foundation. The foundation is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 and following. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Our work will be tested by this same fiery judgment. If your work only had to do with things here, now, visible things, most of it may well be just burned up. It won't make it into the new heaven and the new earth. See, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. How do you do that? Give to the poor. Build into people's lives through discipleship. Love people. They will make it. Our relationships will make it. And there are many other ways as well. I want to mention quickly that the destruction of the ungodly does not refer to total annihilation of those who don't have Christ. Peter is, uh, is comparing the fire at the end of the world to the waters of the flood. And he said all the ungodly were destroyed. What he means is their earthly lives ended. But guess what? In the end, Revelation 20 says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. This is what Peter's talking about. There was no place for them. For whom? For the earth and heaven. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, maybe from the flood. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of, the, uh, the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so as we turn toward application, my question to you is this. Are you fireproof? Are you fireproof? Not your body. Your eternal soul. 
Will you pass through this judgment? And will anything you have invested in also pass through? Is it gold, silver, and precious stones? Or is it wood, hay, and stubble that you've been building in to Christ's work in the world? Are you in the ark of Christ? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Jesus in the fire. How about your work? Do your investments of time and energy and resources reflect your belief in a coming judgment? Are your conversations, even on social media, the kind you'll be proud for everybody to hear when every careless word is judged? I listened to a sermon this week by an old preacher named R.G. Lee. I'd never heard it before, but I've heard about it all my life because it's one of my dad's favorites. It's called Payday Someday. Payday Someday. I decided to go and listen to it. It's 55 minutes long. It's on YouTube. You can hear it anytime. He's an old-fashioned preacher that knows his Bible backwards and forward. He doesn't, doesn't read. He quotes. And the sermon is about Ahab and Jezebel taking Naboth's vineyard and then killing Naboth with unjust accusations by stoning him at the base of the wall of the city. And then Elijah the prophet comes and points at Ahab and said, right where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, they're going to lick up your blood. Judgment is coming. And R.G. Lee starts quoting over and over, payday someday. And it takes a long time with Ahab. He actually has a, a reformation. He repents. He lives to be an old man. But he goes back into idol worship. And R.G. Lee, I hope you can listen to it, as Jehu the king is galloping toward Jezreel with his soldiers, R.G. Lee says the payday train was coming. At times it takes a long, long time, but its hands are iron and they crush completely those under God's wrath. You see, God has proclaimed judgment on sin. And it's true. It's coming. We dare not disbelieve or ignore it. Tell everybody that it's true. Everyone who will listen, yes, they will make fun of you. But live like it's coming. Run to the open door of Jesus so that you will be fireproof. Let's pray. Lord, it's so hard to remember sometimes in our lives of busyness, of the preoccupation of all there is to take care of, that this world is just temporary. Help us to think wisely with wholesome thinking. Help us not to forget that you have promised to come again over and over and over. You are coming and we must live in that truth. I pray for anyone who has not yet surrendered to you, who has not yet run in to the door opened by your rent body on the cross. Lord, give them grace. Find grace to extend to them that they might find salvation in you today without another day passing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of it this morning. Use it to transform us and to deliver us from the corruption that is in the world. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.